Hello and welcome to the Barbatos Catholic Podcast, the show where two Mexican dads talk about faith, life, and culture. We are your hosts, Gustavo and Walter. And today we are going to chat with Father Ed Foley, Vice Postulator for the Condensation Cause of Les Solanas Casey. And uh, let's just jump into it with uh, Father Ed's bio. Um, Father Edward Foley, Capuchin, is the Don Scotus Professor Emeritus of Spirituality, retired professor of liturgy and music, and founding director of the Ecumenical Doctor of Ministry program at Catholic Theological Union. He holds graduate degrees in ministry, music, and theology, including the PhD from Notre Dame. He has released collections of CDs and DVDs, authored or edited 30 books, produced 57 book chapters, 47 peer review articles, and almost 200 cyclopedia, dictionary, and pastoral articles translated into nine languages. He has lectured around the world from the Catechetical Institute in Mumbai to the Mayo Clinic for 6,000 teens in the Houston Astrodome to graduate students in Brisbane from St. Scholastica College in Manila to Westcott College in Cambridge. A Lilly Sabbatical Fellow, recipient of the Baraka Lifetime Achievement Award from the North American Academy of Liturgy, an honor in 2020 with the Frederick McManus Award from the Federation of the Yassasan Liturgical Commissions. He presides and preaches at Old St. Patrick's Church in Chicago and St. Mary's Church in Riverside. Father Ed, welcome to the podcast. It's so, so happy to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, we, uh, well, and on top of all of those accolades that we just mentioned, Father Ed uh, is also the vice, the current vice postulator of the uh, condensation cause of uh, Blessed Lance Casey. And um, if, for, for the people that have been listening to the podcast, um, we have made a couple of more like a few episodes on on the life of Blessed Lance Casey and his spirituality. But today um, we wanted to talk a little bit more about uh, where we are at in the canonization process of uh, Father Solance Casey. Um, but for those that have not listened to those episodes, maybe we can talk a little bit uh, of some vignettes of Solance's life. Um, I'll, I'll kick it off. One of the first uh, stories that I read about Solance was when he um, entered religious life. He was not sure that, uh, that the, the Capuchins was where he was supposed to go. There were like some delays in the travel where he was going to to Detroit to join the Capuchins, and he arrives on Christmas Eve, 1896. Um, and uh, how he got woken up that night after he uh, he arrived and went to bed, and uh, the uh, the friar is waking him up with with singing and music for midnight mass. That is such a wonderful story. Mm-hmm. Actually, I i mean, I'm old enough to remember that when I was a kid Capuchin back in 1966, on feast days, uh, they would wake us up uh, with, uh, with chimes like, you know, the kind that you hear in the sanctuary. Um, so that the it's in the morning usually they would wake us up with with two pieces of wood that would slap together going bum 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 so the latin is sergite fratres which means get up brothers um 
And on feast days and like before midnight mass, they would go through the hallways and they would ring the bells and then they would carry incense down the hallways so that you got sort of wafted into the uh, into the uh, festival. And he had Slavis had had a rough travel there. He had a rough time even deciding on the Capuchins. He wasn't crazy about them, partly because I'm sorry to the two of you because of the beards. Uh, <laughs> and um, he he got there on and it was pretty wet and pretty stormy. And when he woke up and they woke him up for a midnight mass and that was a that was an emotional turning point for him. So it was an important memory that said, yes, I'm home. I belong. He still had a long journey ahead, but it was, you know, we need those moments that say, yep. This is the spirit saying, yeah, it feels good. Stay. Yeah. Yeah, what you said about being home, it's, um, I, I saw this, uh, I think it was part of the interview of the, uh, they might be saints, EWTN, which we'll talk about it in, in a moment. But you mentioned the influence of his um, natural family and then his second family, the Capuchins, on, on uh, his uh, schools of prayer. Um, can, can you elaborate a little bit on, on that? Well, he, he was always very close to his family of origin. He was a uh, sixth child of 16. Um, and when you read through his letters, for example, he is continuously writing to his family and referencing his family. Um, his his sisters his he lost uh, two sisters to diphtheria. Um, his uh, especially his one brother who was a priest and a missionary in the Philippines. Actually, the other day I was when I was in Detroit going through. We still have all sorts of resources that are still being cataloged from him, and we found all of the correspondence from his brother Edward, who was a missionary in the Philippines. They, I mean, it was just, just this stack of of letters that Salamis had saved from his brother. So his family taught him how to pray. I mean, they had the, uh, the church was quite a distance away and sometimes the father and the older kids would go to church and they would stay home and they would do the prayers there. And so, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why his devotion to the Blessed Virgin was so strong uh, because it was his family that taught him the rosary and taught him how to pray. And, um, and that's his family of origin and his family of choice. The Capuchins taught him to pray in similar but also different ways. So one of the things that I always suggest about Solanus is that he did not appear out of, uh, he was not an ex nihilo, as they say. He wasn't created out of nothing. He came right. from families. Uh, and so it was those families that, uh, that shaped him. Happily, when we did the beatification in 2017, there were over 300 members of the Casey family that were there right in front, uh, cheering on their relative. Uh, I mean, they continue to be a very strong, uh, well-connected uh, network of, um, of family and supporters of the Solanus cause. Oh, that's amazing. So are they like in the Wisconsin area? There are many of them are out on the West Coast. The the matriarch, Sister Anne, is out in Oregon. Um, okay. 
there are some who are, there's a, gra a grand uh, nephew who's down in Florida. There are still some, some came over from Ireland. Uh, he still has relatives wow. there. So uh, they're, um, they're scattered a bit, but they actually, they have a family newsletter. That's oh, wow. uh, <laughs> beautiful. Yeah, it's, so it's, um, it's quite amazing. Well, it's, maybe it's we'll make it onto the newsletter. <laughs> no, you need to know someone on the inside. Uh, so, uh, Father Solomon's Casey was a porter for about 40 years in, in two different stints. Uh, and um, I don't remember, I, I, I wrote down this quote, but I don't remember who said it in, in that particular uh, video that you shared with us, Father. Um, it says, about being a porter that at the heart of a priestly vocation is the sacrament of god's presence and that was the, um what, that was the archbishop vigneron from detroit said that right. him um which i thought it was like a wonderful summary of uh, of what solanus wants in essence and, um, we have talked about him being a simplex priest and not being able to hear confessions or not being able to preach but he was in the capacity to be present to people and, and being a, a gateway to, to God it, through that uh, priestly vocation. That's something that, that has blown Gustavo and I away. Uh, now that you're reading his um, uh, correspondence with his family, um, do you see any other uh, like glimpses of, of, of that, of, of Solanus's? As, um, not only as a uh, as a priest, but as a, as a brother, as a uh, spiritual father to others. Well, what it, what was amazing about him is that um, he, because he didn't do very well in his Latin exams and could not hear confessions, or eventually he did get permission to preach publicly. So eventually he did get oh, okay. that permission. Uh, but there was no there was no humiliation on his part even though his direct superior was a lay friar, and this is back in like 1917 when, you know, priests were considered like higher than lay brothers, his openness and his openness to the community was mirrored in his openness to folk. And that's why he did, opening the door was kind of symbolic of his spirituality. Um, and he opened it to, one of the things that's so amazing in his writings is that he continually is talking about meeting with people who are uh, Presbyterians and Lutherans and Methodists and uh, Jews and non-believers. And I mean, he just, um, anybody he welcomed in. Uh, and the other thing that's all strikes me so much is that the number of people who came with, with problems I mean, virtually every medical problem in the book he faced, but there were also the issues of family struggles. And of course he's doing this during the Great Depression. So there are the yeah. economic uh, struggles and, and family divisions and children who are, and he, he maintains his, his equilibrium. There's nothing in his writings that suggests that in any way that depressed him. He just kept opening doors and said, this is God's gonna do what God does. Uh, and his, 
his spirit of generosity, but also his amazing spirit of acceptance was, um, was really mind-boggling. Uh, I don't know how he faced all of that struggle and did it with, with his gentle joy. Well, he carried a lot, right? Because um, I, I would only imagine how many people he would encounter on a daily basis or on a weekly basis. I One of the stories that really stands out to me is when one of his brothers comes to to him to 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 get him to go over to have supper and he's about to get up but a distressed couple comes through the door and solana says you know what let me just take care of this one and then i'll join you uh and and everybody else for for supper and hours go by and he doesn't go to supper and then his brother that initially went to collect him goes and sees him still talking to this couple that as he described it the couple was visually distressed when they came in and they were full of peace when they left three four hours later so mm -hmm. that openness and i think he just listened a lot you know because he didn't like he, he was he was like a conduit to god because he was just mm -hmm. like okay let me hear what you have to say what he gave back was just love and peace and 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 availability which I think people really needed at that time. And today. <laughs> but he did, and he does mention this in his writings. He is, one of the ways that you see he is a, uh, overworked, we don't, we don't think about this much, but there are many times where he's answering a letter and he's answering it for the fourth time. And you can see him in his writings saying, you know, I tried to finish this the other day, or this has been sitting on my desk, but it got to 11 o'clock last night, you know, and they got up at 5.15 in the morning for prayer. And sometimes afterwards, he would go into the chapel and they would find him praying at night. Um, so, I mean, the, the amount of time, he was so inundated with the work that the guy who answered the door had to get an assistant. And somebody... <laughs> guy who answered the door because they found out eventually that they wanted to see the guy who answered the door. He answered the door because he was going to have them go to confession or go talk to a priest or do something. Uh -huh. Eventually, they went, they went to talk to him. Uh, and eventually, they have to give him secretaries because his correspondence is so much. And people are, even when he goes into semi-retirement, uh, mm -hmm. hordes of people follow him down to, to Huntington. Um, that was not much of a retirement. Um, so he, he demonstrates also that, that holiness is work. <laughs> and he, he, no had a lot of, he had a lot of empathy with people who like had to hold jobs down and keep schedules and meet people's demands. Uh, I mean, he did not sit around all day in a mystical trance. He, mm -hmm. uh, he was a working blessed. And he yeah, had that yeah. background too, right? Because he had some odd jobs uh, prior to becoming a priest. He was uh, a trolley conductor. He worked at the at the jail, and so I, I assume that transferred into his work ethic as as a brother, right? As a captain. Well, also he was a farm kid, so he learned this from his family. They all worked the farm, and eventually, uh, I mean, there were sixteen of them, but. In, in the in the 19th century, 
keeping a farm going for a family was really challenging. So yeah. one of the reasons why he and his siblings left the farm was to work to send money back mm -hmm. uh, to the family. So he worked as a prison guard. He worked as a logger. Um, so he he understand work. He understood the hard work, um, and he carried that that commitment without without seeing. <laughs> announcing sometimes the people say you know not only do they work hard but they let you know how hard they work <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he he reveals that a bit in his writings but it's not you have to look for it um and it's usually because i'm sorry i did it and you know Quite an amazing character. Yeah, um, when you were talking about how he he worked and prayed hard. Um, this uh, "Thank God Ahead of Time" by uh, Michael Crosby, OFM uh, caption. Uh, I think he calls him a, a mystic in action. Um, that was like such a, a a wonderful way to describe him to to be like in. The, like the, the the right amount of like this uh, connection with god but also not just uh, being absorbed in prayer but also doing the work um which i think it's a, a very good uh combination especially if there's someone aspiring to holiness like myself with four children in the house <laughs> uh <laughs> that you have to be doing something Changing one diaper, putting another one in time because they did something. That, that kind of stuff um, brings me hope. It's, it, it's all I have to say about that. Um, all right, so let's take a a, a jump to uh, July thirty first of nineteen fifty seven. This um, this was the day that the Paslas uh, gave up his soul to to God at Saint John Hospital uh, in Detroit, Michigan. Um, after suffering a lot with uh, skin condition, um, that I, right now the name escapes me, uh, but he he had this kind of like right, scales, right. something like that. Pardon? Yeah, he had this serious. I mean, he had he had suffered from a lot of things actually over his life. The amazing thing that he did live until he was in his eighties. He was a uh, he was a pretty pretty thin. I mean, this is not a husky big character. I mean, it's one of the reasons why they were a little concerned when people would come to the door during the Depression and he was giving them his food. They're saying, you can't afford this. You know, this was part of the impetus for getting that soup kitchen going. Um, yeah. So he had um, he had suffered from a number of ailments through through the years. Uh, and that was eventually the thing that they identified as the cause of death. But um, I think he also um, in some ways, he sort of ministered himself to death uh, in in a happy way. So, so he, um, you know, he was eighty seven. Quite amazing. Talk about selflessness. Yep. Um, yeah. So I, after his death, there's, people are still uh, going to Father Salinas's tomb, um, and then about nine nine years after his death. Uh, Father, uh, I, I'm probably getting this this wrong in the right. timeline, but um, Father Pascal Seiler, right, um, Capuchin, he gets appointed as a vice postulator for Father Salinas' cause, right. um, and and there was like a whole 
uh, period of time that um, there's like a scrutiny that um, has to go through to make sure that someone who is uh, on the road to condensation um, is like in good standing with the church and that the writings are up to up to par and all those kinds. Can, can, can you explain a little bit of how that initial process works, Father? Well, what, uh, he, he was originally buried outside. There was a there's a graveyard. There still is a graveyard outside behind the monastery in Detroit, uh, and people kept coming to the grave. Um, and it was it was really the lay people, much more than the Capuchins, who pushed the cause. Um, and so, and the laity are very. I mean, he was so close to them, um, and the it's the laity today that continue to, in many ways, uh, support the cause. Uh, and it was eventually because of the ongoing devotion. I mean, the Capuchins knew that he was a holy man, but that doesn't actually mean you're going to hold somebody up to be a saint for the church. Um, and eventually, because of this growing interest, they developed uh, the, the Solanus Casey Guild. At some point, now it's difficult actually to get actual numbers, but at some point, there were easily 40,000 people who belonged to the Solanus Casey Guild. Some suggest at some stages it was up to 60,000 folk. Wow. So, I mean, it's, it's enormous. And so because of this growing surge of, of interest in him, eventually they do open the cause. And it's a long process. The Rome... Rome appoints the, the vice postulator. So we have a postulator general in Rome whose full-time job is to deal with Capuchins and other communities who are looking at having somebody um, move along on the process to official proclamation of sainthood. Uh, their, their process where they've got to go to the US bishop, for example, and the US bishops have to approve that this is a process that's going to go ahead. Then it starts with the diocese, and they look at his read, uh, his writings, and they do examination of his life, and they eventually move through a variety of different stages where, where Pope John Paul II named him venerable, uh, and then the process. One of the uh, they examine his writings, and then um, the the usually not always, but usually the next step is having a, a miracle. Uh, acknowledged. Um, so it's not always true because um, Blessed Stanley from Oklahoma, who was who was beatified in September of 2017, was martyred. And it was his martyrdom, not a miracle, that uh, prompted Pope Francis to acknowledge his uh, beatitude. Um, and so we the miracle was approved by the Pope Pope Francis in May of 2017, uh, and that was what uh, allowed him the, to therefore allow the beatification to go ahead. But it it was a now for some for some people, of course, this takes centuries. So uh, he died in you know 57, and it was only t uh, 50 years later, uh, if I get my math right. Uh, that, that That's about right. Uh, we'll, we'll check the numbers later. <laughs> 2017. Um, for some, it's quicker, you know. Uh, ah. for, for Teresa of Calcutta, it was much faster. Um, but uh, it's, and now we're we're waiting for the second miracle. 
can we rewind a little bit in, in uh, can we talk about Paula Medina uh in in the miracle that that made uh father sons Casey bless sons Casey um can you tell us a little bit more what 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 happened with her in the intercession of sons she uh she's from Panama uh and our province the Capuchins have missions down in Panama so that we got to know Paula she was very engaged in the community uh community ministry she had interestingly enough Solanus dies uh, with this terrible skin condition she had uh this uh, debilitating skin condition in which the skin thickens and cracks and sometimes bleeds it's very painful but it's also deforming um okay. and uh eventually she uh she has to stop working at sometimes it's she couldn't go outside of course in that heat um and so it was something that was that she had suffered with for a very long time the the friars had invited her to come up uh to visit the province um and uh she was in Milwaukee was with some of our ministries there and eventually she goes to Detroit uh and by that point Solanus has been his body has been exhumed and now he's inside uh in the in, with the a visible shell over the tomb and people would put notes on this and she was there praying to Solanus and she was writing notes and praying for her family her friends her for and she got this urging you know saying what about you and so um she prayed for herself um and one of the things that because of the way that her this the scaling was on her legs is that she wore you know these very heavy hose um and she she went to she went to lunch with the friars and she could feel just this heat on her legs she didn't know you know what was going on and she went back into her room and she took these these hose off and she had these these clumps of skin that were coming off her legs literally uh and so they you know she told the friars about it because she was right there she, uh, in the friary uh and they documented this and then of course they had to go through all these processes because she had been treated for this for years down in Panama Uh, they went back and they looked at all those records. Those have to be examined by doctors, and as it goes through the Archdiocese of Detroit, and then to um, and then to Rome. And what they basically said is, she still has this disease, but there's no physical evidence or manifestation of it, and we cannot explain that. And that's what Rome is looking for: is they want what they will call a miracle at this stage is something for which there is no medical explanation even if it's a you have a one in a hundred chance out of a surgery and you have the surgery and it's successful Rome would not con consider that for as miraculous because there was a, a medical intervention that had a chance now one of the challenges of course is what's a miracle given what's advancing in medicine these days but right. it was it was that um what and rome calls rome decides what's a miracle we don't and so that's okay. why when people re, report to us we have them fill out what we call a favor report we call them favors 
Rome decides if it's a miracle. Uh, and, and they decided, and it was so touching that actually at the beatification, Paula was there, and Paula was the one who carried up the relic of Solanus for the beatification. I, I saw her on the photos of, yeah. of, of the event. It was, it was very shocking, you know, to see it. First of all, they filled the Lions at Fort Field with 60,000 people in attendance. And to see Paula taking this relic, the, the, it's a wooden cross, it's a beautiful cross, um, is just, I don't know, it still gives me chills. You know, to imagine that moment, to imagine that many people um, right. um, pushing and praying for for this to, to come to fruition. Um, I think that's the best thing that ever happened in Ford Field, by the way, because the Lions play there. <laughs> I'm not. I'm. I'm from Chicago, so we're not talking about the Bears. Okay. All right. Um, I'm a but, Packers fan, uh, father. <laughs> uh, no, I went to high school in Wisconsin, so I learned not to like the Packers when I was a high school kid. Um, <laughs> the uh, the. Uh, the the data, I mean, the people at Ford Field told us that um, some of them were workers and volunteers, but there were over 70,000 people who went through the turnstiles. Uh, and it was it was not a pretty day outside, and it was pretty stunning. Um, and what I loved about the cross that you mentioned, and you can actually, if you go to the Solana Center today, it's that same cross is, you can go right up to it. It's right there. Um, that we didn't want any... He was not a he was not a gold and silver and jewelry guy. This is made out of very very simple wood. And as a matter of fact, the the kind of halo thing behind it, we used to eat off of wooden plates, and they found a wooden plate from the era that Solanus would have been. He probably ate off that plate, and they had that redone. And that's actually the back of that thing. Um, no way. And the relic. Uh, the relic is from, he was right-handed, and the relic is from that hand that opened the doors all the time. Uh, wow. So, I was going to ask you, because I know it's a part of bone, but it's a part of bone from his hand. Right, right. That's even more special. We've been, Gustavo and I have been talking about making a pilgrimage to Detroit in all of these places where he was in New York and all that, but one day. Um, Okay, so when the kids, when the kids are older and they can support you, yeah, exactly. Yeah. When they basically when they can carry their own luggage, that's that's <laughs> that would be like a win in my book. Uh, so to today, as of today, uh, uh, we said that in November 18 of 2017, we had the beatification uh, mass for Gus uh, Casey. Um, Right now, uh, we are waiting for a, uh, a second miracle, correct? For, uh, or a second favor that we can send to Rome so they can uh, determine if uh, that would be the next step, correct? Well, the, we're, in, we're continuously in process. So there are multiple steps that are going on. One of the things that we want to do is that we also want to document the devotion for him because that's also very important. So, for example, we have actually begun um, tabulating how many people leave a note at the tomb uh, or call in. I mean, since 
since we started doing this in the fall of 2019, there have been over a half a million notes left at the tomb. I mean, it's absolutely astounding. Uh, yeah, I know. Um, okay. We, the people who rely on him for prayer, who send in favor reports, um, and we get those. Last year, we had over 50 people reporting favors. Uh, some of them we cannot pursue because they occurred uh, before May of 2017, and that's when the Pope recognized the first miracle. So the second miracle has to be something that occurred after May of 2017. Um, okay. But we send them all in, uh, and uh, we have we actually have 12 uh, physicians who who donate their time, the pro bono work, and they look through the favor reports. And then sometimes we get medical records. Those medical records can sometimes run well over a thousand pages. And we have these wonderful physicians, women and men who work through these for us and say, there is a medical explanation for this we can't pursue, or this is very interesting. How do we move on? So we're, we're continuously in that process and the favor reports continue to expand. So I'm convinced it's gonna happen because there are just too many people who are saying Solanus is interceding in their lives. Um, and I keep, when I talk to him, I say, if you want one, it's your job, it's not mine. <laughs> so, so I can't make this happen. I can only help you make it happen, so. That's awesome. Hopefully, we get to see it in our lifetime. That we're going to throw a, a big canonization party when that happens in the podcast and here in Phoenix, Arizona, and we might even make the trip to, to Rome. Why not? Don't tell my wife that I said that. She would love to go to Rome, but <laughs> don't hold me accountable to it. Um, that's it that's awesome. Happen. It will not happen in Detroit. Uh, the canonization would take place in Rome. In Rome. So, mm -hmm. yeah. right. Yes, and you may yes. see it because you're a lot younger than I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just pray that, that you get to see it in your lifetime as well, Father. That would be fantastic. Uh, so uh, where can people report favors uh, from Leslie's Casey? So the... Um, the, the office for the vice postulator is located in Detroit at the Solanus Casey Center. So if you go on the website, for example, to the Solanus Casey Center, uh, you can actually find the form for the favor report, right? Um, okay. And, or you can, simply, you can simply mail it directly to me uh, at, at, the, at the Solanus Casey Center. Uh, the address is, 1740-1740, Mount Elliott, E-L-L-I-O-T-T -T Street, Mount Elliott Street, Detroit. Um, uh, and All right. Or they can email it also. Uh, we get a lot of them by email. The, it simply says Solanus Cause, Solanus's name and the word cause, Solanus Cause at thecapuchins.org. Um, and that's another way to, and you could also always call the Solanus Casey Center in Detroit and ask for a, a, a favor form or the email address or, you know, it's, we're there to help people connect with them. 
Awesome. We'll put all of those in the show notes so people know there's multiple ways they can do this. So, um, so you don't have an excuse to not to. Um, um, okay, so we have talked about some of uh, Gustavo and I have read a couple books of uh, the life of uh, Bless the Last Casey. Uh, we talked about Thank God Ahead of Time um, by Michael Crosby. Um, Gustavo, what's the name of the one that, that you have that I haven't read yet? Do you remember? Uh, it's escaping my mind right now. We recently moved, Father, and all of our, our books are in the garage, buried <laughs> under boxes. So it's escaping me. But it's a, it's a wonderful uh, uh, telling of some of his letters with his sister are right. in that. And um, it's, it's just such a wonderful depiction of how devoted he was to his family as he was to his brothers, you know, in, in the priesthood. But um, yeah, some of those books are very, very inspirational. And that's, that's what kind of like drew us to him initially. You know, when we first started the podcast, uh, like I said, uh, we based it off of Bearded Saints. And there was Colby in there, and there was Padre Pio, and it was Solanas, right? So we all kind of like prayed about it, and we all gravitated to Solanas because we were very familiar with both Pio and, 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 and Maximilian Colby. But um, we wanted also to- Also immigrants, hi. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so we wanted to learn more about Solanus and, 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 and really uh, develop a friendship with him. And the mm -hmm. more we dove into it through the podcast and through our own edification, it was just, it's like, why doesn't more people know about Solanus? You know, his life is so inspirational, his family life, his early life, his work ethic, his humility. You know, with all he went through as as a capuchin in the early days of of just like opening the door to whatever God wanted for him from him, um, and and he just one of my favorite sayings of him is, uh, thank, he would thank God every day. He's like thank God for everything, right. and um, so it was at least for me. It's been a a journey of knowing him and getting to know him. Um, that helps me be more appreciative and more available. You know, those are the two things that really ring true when I when I think about uh, Solanus. He's he's available uh, and he's uh, open to God's will at every at every stage of his life. It's one of the reasons why we we partnered with um, Michael O'Neill. Uh, the miracle hunter and did the program for an EWTN that they might be saints because he is sort of a regional saint, but that is the nature of beatification. It's not somebody for the universal church. It is somebody who is celebrated locally. Um, and part of our task is to make sure that his charism, uh, his generosity, his gratitude, his appreciation, uh, his, his unpretentiousness, um, his way of, of defining priesthood that was not that was not power centered. I mean, he was not the one that was in the sanctuary doing all of the the big you know ceremonies. He was very very modest in his priesthood. It's a wonderful image for priesthood as well. So trying to uh, increasing things like media presentations like your own podcast and uh, EW free, you know, you can actually go on the website and anybody free. Uh, the link is actually on our website. 
which is a great introduction to uh, they did a spectacular job. The, the, the actor that played Solanus was so was so uh, life like him that we actually took him around the center and <laughs> introducing people to Father Solanus. It was like they wanted him to bless, and that's <laughs> incredible. I know that the person that did makeup for for the They Might Be Saints episode. I don't want to give them an award, but I don't know what award to give them. But it was. The the opening scene where he is praying, look, they got the beer right, the glasses. He's mm -hmm. it's like you're seeing him in the flesh. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And he was wearing my habit because they oh, really? uh, their wardrobe people their wardrobe people brought something that they said this is a Capuchin habit, and I said no, it's not. This is a Capuchin habit. So he was about <laughs> my flesh. so my habit is now a star. Uh, there you go. That's awesome. So credits, uh, Father Ed's habit. Yeah. <laughs> Let me say in 2022. That's that's wonderful. Um, check it out. We're gonna put a link to the um, to that video presentation from EWTN as well. Um, any other books, Father, you would recommend about Father Solanus that are your favorites um, that you would recommend to our listeners? There's a um, there's a very simple book that was written by uh, his uh, one-time assistant, uh, Brother Leo uh, Wallenweber, um, and it's coming out in the 20th anniversary edition, uh, and I will send you that link as well. But it's, uh, Leo knew him personally, uh, and Leo as a lay brother understood some of his challenges as, as somebody who was sort of marginalized in the power structure and knew some of his, Solanus was not real happy about being moved out of Detroit. Uh, they did it for his health purposes, but um, it's very simple, uh, but it's it's a really lovely introduction to him. Um, um, not as thick as some of the letters, like the it was his uh, sister Bernadette who published all the letters on him. Um, and that which is a great insight into his family, but Leo gives this wonderful overview, and that might be a very good sense. Uh, St. Anthony Messenger Press is coming out with a 20th anniversary edition. That might be a very nice introduction for folks. I'll awesome. send you that link also. Perfect. Thank you, um, Gustavo. Do you have any closing comments? Just so grateful, Father, for your time and for your insight into. And your work, you know, all the work that you guys are doing over there to to move forward this cause for the canonization of Solanus Casey. It's it's such an honor to uh, have talked to you and we will definitely keep praying. Uh, we will definitely keep uh, our listeners posted as we will in in any new developments that happen with Solanus's case. And again, I can't express my thanks enough to you. Uh, for for allowing us the time to kind of like pick your brain about one of our favorite saints now. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm jumping the ship a little bit, but <laughs> blessings. Well, I very much appreciated being with the bearded papas. So this was uh, this was great fun for me as well. That's amazing. Um, Bless, would you mind? Uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, and, and we want to thank everybody for listening to this episode of Barbatos Catholic Podcast, a show where two Mexican dads talk about faith, life, and culture. 
If you like the podcast, you got something out of it, uh, please share it with your friends and family. Subscribe, like, comment, rate, review if you haven't. If you don't like the podcast, just keep it to yourself. Let others make their own mistakes. Um, go to direct.me slash barbatus for show notes, social media, how to support the podcast, and more. And uh, bless the last Casey. Pray for us. Pray for us. Until Thank the you. next time. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you.